0: of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We're still in chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. I shared with you a few weeks ago the fact that God kind of led me to talk about the church this year and preach through these books to kind of point to how the church should function, structure itself, act toward one another, and act toward the world. And so there's more of this going to keep coming. And and, uh, you may get tired of hearing it, but... It's repeated because we need it to be repeated, because we struggle doing it. So the purpose of Christian disciplines is kind of what Paul wants to get across to Timothy and to us this morning. So let me read this passage, 1 Timothy 4, starting with verse 6 through verse 10. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith. And the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance, and for this reason we labor, and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words, and we know that you sent them through Paul to us to encourage us, and also to motivate us, push us, challenge us, because we know that the world is a hazardous place to be. It has many pitfalls and traps. And you are giving us very clear wisdom and guidance here of how to avoid those. May we follow it. May we learn from it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You ever practice something so much that it becomes like second nature to you? We did that in the military, procedures for emergencies in an airplane. You got so good at them, you would actually execute them when it actually happened, and you would forget that you had executed them. You you just do it. Because you rehearsed it. You had it memorized. It became second nature, subconscious. Well, God desires for us to get that way about our faith, our our pursuit of godliness, if you will. He wants it to become like second nature, to be able to obey the truth and discern the error. He wants us to be that way. And that's what he's exhorting Timothy this morning. He exhorts him to keep teaching, keep reminding the church at Ephesus of what they believe and how to live it out. And so Paul wants Timothy to combat erroneous teaching. There is a lot of it out there in their day, and there's a lot of it out there in our day. And he wants Timothy to lead the church to follow Christ in the way they live their life. So Paul instructs Pastor Timothy and the church to commit themselves to the truths of God as discipline in Christ. Some of you may not like that word discipline. We're going to talk a lot about it this morning, so hopefully you'll get used to it by the end. The Christian life calls us to discipline. The Christian life calls us to discipline. So our testimony and our efforts will prove to the world God's salvation. That's why we're here. We're to be lights in darkness. So the question this morning is, how are we to train for the purpose of the Christian life? How are we here to go about doing that? And, and what is our part to play? And Paul gives us some very in, in simple rules, two very simple rules that are so simple and obvious you'd think anybody could do them but we so fail so miserably sometimes at them God instructs two simple rules here to Timothy and to us follow good teaching follow good teaching and avoid foolish ideologies number one obey the good stuff obey the good stuff it's really that simple verses six through ten kind of talks about a lot of good stuff in there that we're supposed to be doing I'm going to walk through all the verses because it's going to point out some of these things that we need to be doing. Verse six leads off with this. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Now, Paul's been talking to Timothy in the first three chapters and and the first part of chapter four. There's a lot of things there that he's pointed out. And he's telling Timothy, okay, I'm pointing these out to you. You're supposed to point them out to the church. Another version or another translation says put before. There's a teaching tone in that. Timothy, teach the church that you're pastor over to listen to these things because it'll be good for them and good for you. These things include, well, to Timothy right now, they include what he put in the first three chapters. But to us, it includes the whole book the whole book is put before us. It's pointed out to us to obey the good stuff. That's what we're here to do. Everything in scripture. So teaching, training, encouraging, exhorting others to follow Christ's commands is good service for any of us to do. Anywhere, anytime, any place that we can instruct someone on how to live for Christ is a good thing. And it's good for us obeying the good stuff. You know there. They can be taught, and sometimes they're taught and they don't obey. And that obedience is always an individual responsibility, so it's on them in the end. But Paul's encouraging Timothy to continue teaching it regardless of how many people obey. He's encouraging him never to stop. And he points to the fact that even Timothy's own soul will be nourished even if no one else is, even if no one else obeys. His soul will be nourished. But the souls of those of us who who obey, It's soul feeding. It's a good meal for us. We will be fed too if we obey. Any good instructor always learns more when he starts having to instruct. I learned more about flying a plane after I started having to instruct someone to fly it so they didn't kill me. (laughs) It made me very astute at how good and how to fly an airplane. You kind of get motivated. The instructors always learn more because they have to get it across to people. You have to. The words of the faith, he tells him. The words of the faith in that verse. The faith. The faith. The faith that we've clung to. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the words Paul's talking to him about here. These are the singularly most important words in any of our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus died, rose again for the forgiveness of our sin. The words of the faith. And they are in our Bible, which we need to spend time in. But I'll get to that in a minute. So where is Timothy going to get this, though? We have the New Testament. He doesn't have the New Testament. Where does Timothy get these words of the faith? He gets them from the Old Testament, for one. If he has a copy, he can get to a copy. But mostly he gets them from Paul. You know, he spent a lot of time with Paul. After he picked him up on the second missionary journey, Timothy was with him a lot of different places, a lot of different times. Paul sent him to places to find out how a church was doing, and Timothy'd come back and report, and Paul would instruct him. So he's got all these lessons from from Paul that he begins to apply here at the church of Ephesus. And of course, let's don't forget the Holy Spirit. He's involved as well. He's illuminating Scripture to Timothy as Timothy learns and reminding Timothy of things he's learned. And he's giving Timothy healthy meals on the truth of, of Jesus Christ. But also, the apostles, the 11 that, and that 12, once Judas was away and they replaced him, those 12 guys were passing down teaching, and it was spreading, and it was going, and it was being carried by, by letters, by words, by word of mouth. They were, the Jewish, Jews were a very oral society. They, they talked a lot and taught a lot verbally, so it was easy for them to pass it along. And with a common language, it could pass from the Jews to the Gentiles, and it had. So Timothy had all of these, these things. And he's supposed to pass it on, pass it on to the church there at Ephesus. But we have much more today. We have a complete Bible, 100% complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. And then Paul talks about the faith. The faith is really the key to God's plan. Faith. You know, it's funny how you read scripture and how many things people do to try to get right with God. And all God's asking for them to do is to have faith. When Saul blew it and lost his kingdom, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, he said, God, Samuel said to him, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Obey, faith, trust in God. Over in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, verses 4 and 5, Paul tells Timothy that. He tells him these promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Faith's the key. Without faith, we just are kind of religious. (laughs) We're not having a relationship, we're not promoting anything. Paul tells the Romans the same thing. Romans 10:17, he says, For faith comes by hearing, by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. The words of Christ. That's where the faith comes from. All faith must be born of Christ's words, not something you do, something you hear. And obeying his words trains us for our purpose in Christ, which is to proclaim the truth to the world. I think I've said that a lot here, but it's like that is our purpose as a church, is to get the truth out, to talk to people about it, to make sure it's being shared around the world as best we can. We'll talk a little bit about that next week when I talk about the cooperative program. And then we look at verse 7b, which is basically end of verse 7 Paul points out another good thing. He says, rather train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. That word train is the same word we get the word gymnasium from. Most of us don't like going to the gym (laughs) If if we go at all. Sometimes just getting to the gym, in my case, is a good workout. Even if I don't do very much, it's like, I got there. But that's what Paul's talking about. He borrows a metaphor of athletics. The Greek Olympic Games were still something that they they talked about. And so this word is a word that was associated with the Olympic Games. Training rigorously, preparing rigorously for some event at the Olympics. We need to prepare rigorously for godliness, to live out our faith in front of others. Verse 8 even elaborates more on it. What does verse 8 says here? He says, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Physical training, and he's not talking just the physical training like we think of athletes. He's talking about what he had talked about up there in verses 1 through 5. Abstaining from things and putting things aside and doing things to your body to, to try to make you more righteous to God. He's talking about that as well. All of that doesn't help a whole lot. He says, little value, small value. But I want you to hear me clear this morning. Any emphasis on our physical bodies that is meant to, to replace or prevent our training in godliness is bad. If going to the gym becomes more important than going to the church, that's when it's it's crossed the line. It's now an idol. It's now something you're substituting in. Our training for godliness must be just as serious or more serious than anything else we do in life. Paul tells them. This is what he tells them. He tells them to devote that kind of diligence to living out God's word, his commands. He's telling them to obey. Obey the good stuff. Obey the good stuff. And there's a lot of it here. A lot of things we could be doing because we're called by Christ. Paul wants them to devote that kind of diligence that an athlete, an Olympic athlete, puts toward training for the Olympics. Put that toward being godly, living like Jesus, acting like Jesus. And why does he tell them this? Because he, Paul's figured it out. Godliness is very important to life, very important. His life already at this point he's, He's out of prison in Rome. This is after his first imprisonment in Rome. He's seen, and he's had done to him a lot of stuff that challenged his godliness. He's seen this truth of godliness worked out in his life. Very difficult. His persecutions. His imprisonments. His person himself being attacked. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was bit by a snake. A poisonous snake, by the way. He's seen persecutions and he's seen godliness work out in his life. Now I defined godliness a couple of weeks ago when we talked about chapter three, verse sixteen. But I'm going to add a little bit to it this morning and kind of hopefully flesh it out a little bit more for you. Because it's a reminder. We always need reminding. Paul tells Timothy that and Peter does too, tells us that. It refers, godliness refers to awe and reverence toward God. That's what it refers to. The one the awe and reverence we have. We personally have, each of us has, not as a church, not as a group of people called Christians, as individuals. Godliness is a trait or a quality that we express because of what we know about God and how we revere him, how we worship him, how we love him. And it's expressed faithfully to God. That's what makes godliness godliness is it's faithful. It's always seeking to be more like his son. It's it's an exercise. I know we don't like that word either. But it's an exercise. It's exercise daily, striving to express our awe and reverence that we personally carry in us toward God because he saved us by grace. I mean, there's where the motivating factor comes in. By grace, we should be motivated. By the fact that God took time to save us inside our souls, we need to continually cultivate that awe and that reverence toward what he's done for us. It basically implies kind of a worshipful lifestyle, a worshipful attitude, because you trust God with your salvation and you obey his will. Obey the good stuff. It's a trait and it's a discipline. It's something you're working toward and working on constantly. And Paul is imploring Timothy to teach the church to obey the good stuff like Godliness because in verse eight he says, Godliness guarantees for us a promise. There's a promise. You like promises? I like promises, especially ones that people keep. (laughs) I like promises. It guarantees us a promise, a hope, a security, a peace, now and for eternity. I mean, it's a glorious thing to realize that I don't have to fear death. I have no need to fear death. Sin has no grip on me, as the song says. Eternal life in our future home changes how we live now. And we should live now faithfully for God. That's godliness. And it's very impactful. He- There's a song out now called Heaven Changes Everything. It changes your perspective. When heaven is your final destination, when you realize that this life is not something to be clung to and hung on to, but that heaven is where the real action is, where you're going. So Paul then adds validity to verse 8 with this verse, verse 9. He's he's used this phrase several times. This saying, the one in verse 8, is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. He's adding some validity, some punch to it. Basically, he's saying, don't ignore this or minimize your training for godliness because it is very, very important. It holds promise for this life and for the life to come. It is beneficial for this life and the life to come. Obey the good stuff. That's what you're hearing from God's word right now. And then in verse 10, our memory verse for the month, Paul tells, kind of drills home the point a little bit more about the good stuff we must obey. In verse 10, he says, for this reason, this hope, this promise, this desire to serve God because he saved him. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe Paul labors he works and he struggles relentlessly to communicate the gospel to everybody he comes in contact to he revisits churches to once again struggle and work for him, their purification their sanctification their health Paul told the colossians the same thing when he wrote them a letter uh, he invested much in proclaiming the gospel. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29, he says, We, meaning him and his his entourage, Silas, Timothy, some of them there, we proclaim him Jesus. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone in all things, so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all the power, with all my might. In Christ Jesus. That's what he does. That's his, that's his mindset, his mission, and his purpose. And he's calling us to do the same thing. Paul longs to present everyone complete, perfected, if you will, in Christ. Not perfect as in we can be perfect. That's, that's something I'll talk about here in a minute. But complete, faithfully, faithfully pursuing godliness. We should do the same. Because here's one of the things you need to understand is that All humanity is damned by sin. All humanity. Nobody's born perfect, except Jesus. Nobody's born perfect. Nobody's born outside the realm of sin. And unless people hope in Christ Jesus alone to grant them forgiveness, they are eternally condemned. Paul takes that to heart. I mean, he's he's passionate about that. He doesn't want anybody to not hear the gospel. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Even the people that have stoned him, whipped him, beat him, all those things imprisoned him. Him, he does not want them to go to hell. He wants them to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. And so he says here because of the limited because of the living God who is the savior of all people. God is the savior of all people. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. They were already condemned. But that through him, the world might be saved. God saves those who believe. God is the provider of salvation. God is the giver of that. Only those who believe in Jesus, though, will receive that salvation. So some people want to interpret that last phrase about, well, God's going to save everybody. (laughs) No, because that conflicts with the rest of the Bible. Paul's not saying that. Matter of fact, what Paul's saying really is that God is the provider of the salvation and only those who believe. So instead of saying especially those who believe, he should say that is the believers. They who believe are the ones God's actually saving. Because God's the only one that provides that kind of salvation. No other religion out there has anybody dying for somebody's sins. Living for Jesus Training for our purpose in Christ and godliness means obeying the good stuff. It's a simple rule. It really is. Turning your Bibles over to Philippians, back to the left a little bit, to Philippians chapter 2. Paul wanted to instruct Philippian, the Philippians about this same thing. We're going to look at t- verses 12 and 13. I want you to understand, there's a part you play and there's a part God plays in working out our salvation, and pursuing this godliness. And so we're not alone in this. We're not abandoned. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Here it is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Verse 13, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. See, there's two parts there. There's our part. Continue to work it out. Continue to train for godliness. Continue to go to the gym and get more godly, because God's working in you, working it out in you. He wants to help you. Stick your bulletin in there if you want, or some marker, because I'm going to be back in Philippians here in a second. But so that you don't have to flip so many pages. But we need to realize that God's there. Continue to work it out because it is God who is working it out in you. So you just can't sit back and twiddle your thumbs and hope God makes you godly. you got to get busy. you got to work on it. There are several examples in Scripture of the, the difference between faithful godliness and in unfaithful godliness. King Asa in Second Chronicles 16. He trusted God in so many different ways. It was, it was beautiful. I'm reading it this week, and it was like, or last week. It was just like this great thing. God was believing. I mean, Asa was believing God. He was trusting God. God delivered him several times from enemies. And then all of a sudden, an enemy comes along, and he says, I'm going to make a treaty with another enemy and spoils the whole thing. And he gets punished for it. Matter of fact, a prophet comes and tells him about it, and instead of repenting, Asa puts him in prison. And eventually has him executed. Crazy. Saul versus David. Saul sinned and looked like he was sorry he sinned, but all he was worried about was what he was going to lose. Please don't take the kingdom away from me. When David got caught in his sin of adultery and murder, he was just worried about God taking the Holy Spirit away from him. Creating me a clean heart. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, Psalms 51 says. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, David pursued God faithfully for more godliness in the act of repentance. Judas and Peter, they're they're another example. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. When he realized he was wrong, instead of... repenting and and talking to God, he went back to the the Pharisees and the the Sanhedrin and tried to buy his freedom, his guiltlessness. He tried to buy that back from them. Here's the 30 pieces of silver. I'm no longer guilty. Mm, Not true. He didn't worry about what his relationship with God was about. He worried about what his relationship with the Sanhedrin and how he looked to Jesus and the disciples. When Peter denied him, which is a form of betrayal, by the way, he just faithfully cried out to God. He probably prayed Psalms 51, just like David wrote. So we have people that just won't obey the good stuff. They won't faithfully pursue godliness. They won't be diligent about coming back to God when they've done wrong or when they need help. So I don't know what more I can say about obeying. You know, I'm probably beating a drum and beating a dead horse, but you and I both struggle with it. We struggle to obey. We struggle to follow God's. We, we always are l- working after the wrong things in this life. We sometimes have the wrong focus about why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. The world around us really works very, very hard, very, very hard at bringing us to ungodliness. But our lives as believers here are supposed to counter what the world's doing. We're supposed to be the the antidote in the way we live our life. I mean, we sometimes, we work very hard on our standard of living. We want to get it to a certain point or keep it at a point or climb higher. I've never seen anybody really want to stop and stop, you know, improving themselves. Um, We labor on how we look to others. We worry about our reputation, our status, our prestige. We are always kind of concerned about that and we're doing things to make ourselves look more palatable to the world but godliness calls us to work at being faithful to god with our time talents and treasures with everything we've given by god every good and perfect gift i said last week comes from god using that to pursue godliness to be a a righteous standard against the world's evil standard God in us calls us to work at being faithful. I mean, like I said, the Greek word here for train is gymnasium, where we get gymnasium from. That implies something, okay? Exertion. It implies, you know, regimen. It implies discipline. It doesn't come natural because our natural person is still inside us as long as we're in this life, and it's going to war against us. I mean, physical fitness, I'm not saying don't get physically fit, don't, don't go to the gym, don't exercise, don't eat right. I'm not saying any of that. But we struggle even doing that, don't we? I mean, we, we're told, our doctors say, hey, do this, you'll lower your cholesterol. Hey, do this, you'll lower your blood sugar. Hey, do this, you'll raise your, your heart, your, you'll get your blood pressure right. All these things that the doctors tell us to do, and we struggle doing that. And then there's some out there that just make it an obsession, But, you know, it's harder to train our minds and our hearts and our bodies to behave in godliness and to act like Christ. It really is. But we must push ourselves, as Philippians 2 said. We We must work out our salvation. We must continue to make it more evident, make the godliness in us more evident. See, godliness is not a work to earn salvation. I want to make that clear. We don't work for our salvation. Godliness is not a work to earn our salvation, but a salvation by which we work for God. See, we, we do this because we've been saved. We do this because we've been redeemed. And the life of awe and reverence that we express in Christ, it turns our lives into an abundant, purposeful experience of God's grace. It does. Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song years ago called There's No Other Place I'd Rather Be Than On The Road To Heaven. I hope you can say that. There's no other place I'd rather be than pursuing God's godliness. So we need to get busy working out our godliness. Let's get in shape, in other words. But obeying God is important, which includes avoiding the wrong paths that come along. And that's point number two this morning, rejecting the false stuff. Rejecting the false stuff that's out there. Verses 6 through 10 kind of cover some of this. But Paul's already mentioned some of the false stuff. You can flip back over to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. And even in verse 1 of chapter 4, we saw that last week. Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods. I mean, that's, that's already been, Paul's already identified that. Don't play around with those. Avoid them. Reject them. Reject the silly and pointless myths. There's other versions out there that say different things. There's even, I think the King James is the one that says, don't pay any attention to wives' tales. And some of it's old wives' tales. And I'm not going to even talk about that, who that is. But the fact is, is that these things are silly, they're pointless, they're profane, they're worthless, they're godless myths, they're speculations, people guessing at stuff. Some of them have turned into legends and everybody thinks it's, it's true. Avoid them faithfully. Resist them strongly. And put them down persistently. We need to fight against it. We don't need to just let it go by the wayside. We need to tell people they're wrong when when we get the opportunity. The word pointless in this passage, it really does mean profane and godless. They must be avoided at all costs. Some of these myths that he keeps referring to here, the scholars say that it is probably Jewish myths about what you had to do to, to be a good Jew. And even some of those myths blended into Christianity because they were trying to force Gentiles to be circumcised and all these other things they were supposed to do that the Jewish law had required at one point. But also these lies and myths that Paul's talking about, it it surrounds the Roman and Greek gods. You know why they called it mythology, right? Because it wasn't true. (laughs) It's not true. And so that's what he's talking about. And then the the silly points to the gossip, the speculations that have bloomed into legends, fairy tales, lore, even stuff that people think is true, like godliness is next to cleanliness. (laughs) That's not in your Bible, by the way. And that's not how you get to godliness. We just talked about that. So there is much in history claiming to be truth, much out there that people wonder, why isn't that in the Bible? And why isn't that declared holy scripture? I'm going to give you an example this morning, from the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Thomas, you can go out there online and look, look at it. There was some insistence a few years ago, probably more like 10 or 15 years now, but that that should have been Why isn't that included? Thomas was one of the apostles, right? Why well, wasn't his book, which we're, not, we're pretty sure he didn't write it, because this book was written centuries after Christ and the apostles were dead. But listen to this. This is the last verse of the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas is not very long. It's only like 114 verses. But listen to this. Simon Peter said to him, Jesus, let Mary leave us for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself a male will enter the kingdom of heaven. The story I heard was that some female reporter called in a secular news agency called a theologian and asked why isn't the book of Thomas and he just pulled one off his shelf and read her that verse and and over the phone she went oh now I know why it's not in the bible because it's a lie it's a lie someone wrote that claiming Thomas's name Um, there's a lot of that out there we have to reject the false stuff the lies, the ideas, the philosophies that are, that are contrary to truth, which means you need to know the truth. The truth is what's in, in your Bible. Know it well. I mean, verse 8 says that training our body at the expense of our soul is false stuff too. No matter how much you go to the gym, you're not going to live forever in this life, okay? Your, your body is going to eventually die. I'm not saying don't go to the gym, but some people use that as an excuse. But trying to achieve some sort of immortality by going and working out and everything is just not what God's called us to. Keep godliness in your focus and it will enhance your life here and and the next life like he promised. Reject the false stuff. You know, and another aspect of false stuff comes from the fact that Paul keeps insisting on obeying the good stuff. He wouldn't have to do this if there wasn't a bunch of false stuff out there. This isn't just rhetoric. This isn't just empty words. These things he's telling us to do is stuff we need to do because there's so much bad out there. There's so much evil out there. And we go through, and and God calls us to faithful obedience, and we go through this. See, Paul's exhortations, listen, listen here. Paul's exhortations to obey, to follow, to train, to hope, to labor, to strive, to believe, to learn, to serve, to nourish on the good means that there's a whole lot of bad out there. I mean, he uses those kind of words constantly throughout his letters. Jesus used them constantly. The apostles used them constantly. It's in your Bible. To obey, to follow, to train, to hope, to labor, to strive, to believe, to learn, to serve, to nourish on the good. And because the bad stuff's out there and it's waiting for you just to slack off a little bit. And then it'll take, take, catch you by surprise. It's a trap. See, none of Paul's appeals would be necessary if bad stuff didn't exist. He would not even have to write this if there was no bad stuff out there. So there's bad stuff. Avoid it. Reject it. Go back to Philippians. As I said a minute ago, we're going to go back there. Philippians chapter 3 now. I want you to hear Paul's approach to this whole thing of sanctification, of going through this because you're going to disobey and you're going to have to come back and, and repent. But Paul has a, I think it's a very motivating thing. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. He's talking to this church and he's telling them, listen, I I wanted to be like Christ. I want want to attain Christ's resurrection in my life. And so he says in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal and the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. We need to look at it that way. We need to see that we are in a, in, a, in a constant struggle to reach the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. We need to always be reaching for that. King Jehoshaphat, another favorite Old Testament king. King Jehoshaphat was a pretty good king for, it, for Judah. He didn't, he, but he didn't always reject the bad. He would help the evil king of Israel, the northern kingdom, he would help him out anytime he asked, no matter which one it was. There was two different kings of, of the, the northern kingdom while he was king, and he would, he would just help him out. And eventually God said, why are you associating with an evil king? But you've, you've, he found some good in Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, I believe, is, is redeemed and in heaven, but he was punished by God. He had, he had made some ships to go get some gold. And they just got shipwrecked right in harbor before they ever got out on the sea. So God said, nope, you're not going to do that. King Solomon, that's the saddest story out there, I think. He flirted with idolatry because of his wives until he got caught up in it. Reject the bad stuff. Reject the bad stuff. That's that's what God's calling us to do. And we need to think about it. Think about rejecting the bad ideas our world relishes. We give in to some of them. We, We accept sometimes somebody's interpretation of scripture. Or we even accept sometimes their interpretation of, of laws of the land. There's a case going on at a YMCA right now in Illinois about transsexual entering a women's locker room. And, and they said, no, you can't, they can't do that. And they posted signs and they told them it was hate speech. Kicked, them off the sw- kicked the young lady off the swim team. But a lawyer said they misinterpreted the rule. The rule about not discriminating only applies to non-private Places. So, see, we just we we quickly accept these things. We don't even think about challenging them. We give into precautions. We don't we don't resist the heresy, the lies, the poor doctrinal clarity that's out there. Paul's goal here is to erase any naivete that you have about there's good stuff in the world, because in reality, the ideas that are out there are not friendly to us at all. And I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about people and ideas. The bad stuff, the evil from Satan, it seeks to eradicate our godliness. That's why we have to train at it, okay? Because something's all, I mean, it's like I cannot go to the gym for one week and man, I feel terrible. The same thing with our godliness. We got to continue to pursue it and train for it in service to our king because the the bad stuff's gonna try to take us away. But see, none of us will be perfectly pursuing this, okay? I'm not setting up a standard here that you, you can become perfect. Perfection is not reality, faithfulness is being faithful to pursuing the goal like paul said in philippians 3 being faithful to continue on toward the prize i mean that's that's the difference in a lot of the examples i've said is their faithfulness david was faithful to god even when he was caught red-handed god calls us to faithful obedience but he also calls us to faithful confession repentance when we disobey See, we're, all of that's part of it. If you sin, you need to confess and repent. Keep a short list with God. It's easier that way. You don't have to remember what I do wrong yesterday. But confess and repent. That's part of being godly. And the cycle of obey, disobey, confess, repent, obey is called sanctification. That's just the way we're going we're gonna to obey, we're going to then we disobey, we're going to confess our sins, we're going to repent of it, and then we're going to try to obey again. That's just sanctification, and it's a refining process over and over to make us better, more godly, so that the people of the world see us and see our Father in heaven and glorify him. But you just remember, you and I are never alone in these battles. They are meant to bring us more godliness. That's why God lets them happen. So it's training, whether you want it or not. Sometimes we don't want it, but God knows what's best. So I want to summarize this in a simple way. Faithful obedience and resisting the evil ways is how we accomplish the purposes of God. Faithful obedience and resisting evil is how we accomplish the purposes of God. That's what he's left us here for, to live out his purposes. So let me ask you, are you searching for significance in your life? Are you searching for a purpose? Are you searching for for something, desiring something to help you find your place in this world? Well, the answer is Jesus always is, always will be. Paul gives us here a clear picture of how that happens. He tells us, as believers in Jesus, we are to serve faithfully our God, to train for godliness. If each of us this week took one aspect of our life, one thing, search your heart, one thing you've been struggling with, one thing you know is wrong, one thing you need to fix in your life and, and prayed over it and sought God's help over it and worked on it this week, what, what would the results be? I'm telling you, it'd be good. It'd be good. God rewards and blesses obedience. Especially when we're pursuing godliness. You can stand on his promise, as we sang earlier, the promise of the prize. In Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our rock, our strength, our song. So we need to lean into Jesus and and train for godliness. That's the purpose that he's left us here for. So let's take some time now to pray for more godliness in our hearts, to pray and ask God, show us how we can be more godly. Pray for souls to learn that lesson because I don't, I don't see any hope for the churches of America without that, pursuing godliness, training ourselves for godliness. We've got to be more righteous in our way we live. So let's have a time of prayer, silent prayer. If you want to come to the uh, front, you can and pray. And after a few minutes, we'll, I'll close us out. Let's pray.